A disadvantage from how to be cross-eyed, thriving despite your physical imperfection. I'm not going to suggest something silly like that your physical imperfection actually gives you an advantage. It really doesn't. Well-meaning friends, family, or self-help gurus may try to convince you that it's somehow a blessing to have this physical imperfection. It's really not. Many people are just born with their physical imperfections, and as a result, do not really know what life would be like without it. My crossed eye gives me a unique perspective of having lived without a physical imperfection and now with one. I was a quite good-looking young man, yet over 10 years, I became quite cross-eyed. So unlike someone who was born with it, I actually got to experience how people react to and treat me differently as a cross-eyed guy than they did as an otherwise handsome young man. The line of advice that you'll hear repeatedly from gurus and your parents is that you should just pretend that you don't have this glaringly weird physical feature. If it doesn't matter to you, it won't matter to anyone else. This advice almost always comes from people who don't have a physical imperfection. It's well-meaning, but not really true. People will treat you differently. You do have a disadvantage. The truth is that your physical imperfection will make it more difficult for you to make friends. Networking, parties, and social events will always be a little awkward for you. It makes you less attractive to the women or men that you find most attractive and would like to date or have intimate relationships with. It makes you more of a target of muggers and petty criminals with bad intentions. It's a factor in your candidacy for jobs that you interview for, although the hiring managers would never admit this to you. It's likely a disadvantage to your fitness and health. It may hurt your effectiveness as a salesperson, and it will be an impediment to you having a successful public life if your aspirations include appearing on stage, on television, in front of a camera, or an audience. If you let it. It's easy to assume that this most conspicuous feature of yours that jumps out the most when you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror is what people will remember you for. And the truth is that it will be. Again, if you let it. By default, you will just be the weird-looking guy or gal unless you consciously cultivate and sculpt yourself into something else. This book is about how to do that. There's obviously plenty of books out there about making friends, dating, or being successful in your career, but none of them approach these pursuits with the unique handicap of a physical imperfection. There is a subtle yet powerful advantage in your physical imperfection. I'm not going to tell you right now what it is or how it works. Very few people have uncovered and 
unlocked this subtle advantage. I've met almost none personally. I have, though, figured it out for myself. It's jump-started my career, given me remarkable job prospects, and has came to fruition in the enviable position I'm now in, making good money doing what I love, I'm respected for what I do, and I have almost complete freedom with my time. It's empowered me to make real friends and enjoy intimate relationships. It's given me powers of influence and persuasion. It's given me the means and boldness to travel the world. I've lived abroad for over six years in six different countries, Bulgaria, Colombia, Germany, Spain, and Ukraine. I hope you'll read this book with keen attention as I'll reveal it to you in its pages. I've maintained a website and popular YouTube channel for several years. That's not really about physical imperfections or being cross-eyed. It's about biohacking, life hacking, anti-aging science, and other things that I find interesting, which are topics that I touch on in this book as they are relevant to thriving despite a physical imperfection, but there's a lot more information on my website, over 400 articles, and there's several hundred videos on my YouTube channel. Some of this is quite dry technical information, how-to guides, or scientific meta-analyses of, for example, different performance-enhancing drugs that I use, whereas this book is very story-driven and should be enjoyable reading. Over the past 10 years, I've spent more time with personal development practitioners than theorists, specifically entrepreneurs and seducers. By entrepreneurs, I mean people who are actually doing business, who own and operate businesses, not entrepreneurs, people trying to figure out how to start a business, who I certainly don't have anything against. I've been a entrepreneur. I just don't hang out with them that much. By seducers, I mean men who are devoted to the art, practice, and science of seducing women. You don't have to be an entrepreneur or a seducer to thrive despite having a physical imperfection. But Hanging out with these types of people produces the most interesting experiences that make the best stories. These are not the kinds of people that are going to while away an afternoon smoking weed and playing video games. Nor are they going to spend hours debating politics over dinner. They are a whirlwind of action. They are busy. There are much better books than this one about entrepreneurship and seduction by authors who have made a lot more money or seduced a lot more women than I, but this book will discuss the unique challenges I've faced in these domains and how I managed to overcome them. Definition of physical imperfection. Some people may ask, how do you define a physical imperfection? And then say, Aren't we all physically imperfect? Almost all of us are less beautiful than an airbrush Kim Kardashian or Channing Tatum. Well, yes, but some of us have conspicuous 
physical imperfections. Thanks to a birth defect, accident, medical condition, or just an unlucky roll of the genetic dice, we have something about us that is not within the normal spectrum of the natural human physical form. It's likely the first thing that people notice about us when they meet us. Social commentary. Modern society has this ostensible obsession with victimology, with trying to help the less privileged in society. If you were born with the wrong skin color, religion, accent, gender, or sexual orientation, supposedly you are at a great disadvantage to someone more demographically average. And at every major institution or corporation, you can find offices, officers, programs, quotas, or diversity programs that will advocate for you in an effort to equalize your access to or the outcome of opportunity. Yet, if you have a physical imperfection, which I think is a real disadvantage, nobody cares. Other than maybe your mom, nobody is going to give you a leg up or a handout to help you overcome the disadvantage you face because of, well, your face. Sometimes, when discussing politics, I'll joke that I'm going to start a cross-eyed-ism political advocacy group to promote equality for cross-eyed people. Cross-eyed-ism will begin producing and distributing persuasive propaganda about the statistical disadvantages we face because of our asymmetrical faces and trying to engineer society to accommodate our disability. For example, as a cross-eyed guy, I'd really like to be a high-speed race car driver, but people tell me that it's impossible because of my vision. And that's just not fair. So, as a group, we can get a politician to make a new rule that NASCAR or Formula One races may not exceed 50 miles an hour, because that's the kind of velocity at which people like us who don't see the world in three dimensions could safely race high-performance automobiles around a track. I would never be able to win a race against those guys that can go over 200 miles per hour. It's just not fair. The feminist, socialist, or ideological young person that I'm cheekily debating with will begin to squirm, literally or intellectually, as I draw this silly comparison between the kinds of political policies they believe in which are aimed to help other groups of people in society and my being cross-eyed. We have these fiery public debates about accommodating, for example, transgendered people, which make up a tiny percentage of the population, but you'll never see a politician CEO or celebrity advocate to make life better for cross-eyed people. Disabled. At universities, some corporations, in government, and other institutions around the world, there is this growing political influence of advocacy for the disabled. These are offices, officers, and programs that exist to try to help the disabled. I regard this as a cancerous scourge that actually hurts the people it pretends to help. 
I urge you to stay out of the disability office and away from the benefits system. The problem is that there is an ever-expanding definition of disabled. The benefits these offices offer can be very tempting. These benefits and programs are insidious teachers of learned helplessness, teaching you that you can't solve any of your own problems, that you need the government or some institution or authority to solve your problems for you. This is like heroin. These disability advocates will get you hooked on their free stuff. And then with predictable certainty at some point in the future, when you're totally dependent on the system, they'll take it all away and you'll be royally screwed. Recently, I was listening to this interview about how in Canada's universities, academic accommodations for the disabled are increasingly being considered a human right. This absolutely undermines the integrity of academia and in the long term hurts those it pretends to help. What's happening is that the disability offices are demanding that the academic standards be lowered drastically for anyone quote-unquote disabled. If you can convince a campus psychologist that you are depressed, you join the illustrious ranks of disabled students and the professors must make things extremely easy on you. The free market is pretty smart. The best firms and employers know that the standards are being lowered for anyone with a unique characteristic that falls under this very, very broad definition of disabled. They won't admit it, but they'll suspect that your professors made things easier for you. This makes you a significantly less attractive job candidate. If you're a younger person who is or will soon be a job seeker, I'd encourage you to include on your resume or mention in your interviews that at no point in your academic career did you receive accommodations for being disabled. If you're in university or school, go to your professors privately and let them know that you expect no special accommodation. Let them know that you can be held to the highest academic standards without fear of the disability office dragging them through bureaucratic hell. My personal rule of thumb is to accept help that comes to me because of the personal volunteerism of the people I have relationships with. For example, when I first moved to Sofia, Bulgaria, I was frustrated with my cell phone service provider. I needed to go down to the store and pay every week for this plan that I didn't think was a very good deal. I mentioned how this irritated me to the very nice Bulgarian girl I was dating, and she volunteered to help me. We went to the store together, and she spoke Bulgarian to the employees, explaining my irritation. Then they offered me a much better cell phone service plan than before, and the sales girl even offered to discount it by 50% because I had bad 
eyes. Now that's help I actually deserved because of the relationship I had. Be extremely suspicious of organizations, institutions, and authorities that are trying to quote-unquote help you because you fall into some broad category. If you're already acquainted with these disability offices, you know that the kind of people that work there or go there for help are kind of weird. None of them are cool people. They just kind of have this needy, insecure vibe. Often they have a victim mindset. They emote a jaded entitlement. They think society owes them something. They are really not the kinds of people that you'd like to be friends with, go on a date with or hire to, work with. If we're being honest, a lot of people in these disability offices are kind of depressing to hang out with. I'm sorry, call me selfish, but life is just too short to hang out with people who are depressing. As a rule in life, you want to hang out with people that are better than you because they will make you better. Hang out with people that are richer than you and you'll get richer. Hang out with people smarter than you and you'll become more intellectual. Hang out with people funnier than you and your sense of humor will improve. Hang out with people in better shape than you and you'll become more motivated to hit the gym and eat right. Go dancing with people that are better dancers than you and you'll become a better dancer. How are other disabled people better than you? That's all the political commentary you'll hear from me. The takeaway is that nobody is going to help you overcome the significant challenges you face because of your appearance. You're going to need to help yourself. To summarize, your physical imperfection will by default be the defining aspect of your identity if you let it. Secondly, spend time with practitioners, not theorists. Third, hang out with people better than you. And fourth, stay out of the disability office.